What's up, Redemption? How you doing? John Hendricks here, as always. And on this episode of The Threshing Floor, we're going to be welcoming back friend of the podcast, Brad. And we're going to be discussing the new rule change that came out from the elder team and talking about the impacts of it with the current widow combo and also the first combo that's going around, but also forecasting and talking about the future impact and long-term impacts of this rule change and how it's going to affect the game state. So glad you're here and we'll get right into it. All right, thank you so much for joining for another episode of The Threshing Floor. This is number 25. So we're welcoming Brad back. How you doing, Brad? Feeling good tonight. Tonight, yes. Um, so we've got a lot of content we want to go over. There's a lot of new spoilers this week with K&L Starter Deck spoilers and also GOC Phase 2. But before we get into the spoilers... I want to uh, go ahead and let you know that the main topic, if you didn't catch the April Fool's episode, uh, we're going to be going over the new rule change, which is going to limit the unique activations of cards to four per turn per player. So we'll be going over that as the main topic here tonight. But before we do that, we're going to talk about um, some new content that has come out, and we have... Rob M. Studios, History of Redemption National Promos. This is a video that currently, as I am recording, is scheduled to air on the 4th. This is the 3rd. This is Sunday night. So by the time this episode releases, his video will have come out yesterday. So make sure you go and check that out. I'm really excited to see that one. Also in the past week, we've had the Saga of Redemption Part 3 come out with some gameplay featuring the Garden Tomb. That was done by Luke Marshall, and he played with Jaden. So that is on Redemption with Jaden for the gameplay footage. Also, I mentioned last week Mark's devotional series, God's Glory and Our Assumptions. Part 5 of that is now up and on Land of Redemption, I guess I should specify. And Gospel of Christ Significant Cards Part 2 is live on Land of Redemption. And if you're like Brad, then you just skimmed it to get the spoilers. You didn't actually read the story behind it, but there's some actual unique stories in there are, are you know, accounts of things that happened during the playtesting and design phase of GOC. So make sure you actually read those articles and don't, don't be like Brad, who's just using the spark notes. I'm not sure how I feel about you calling me out like that. Well, you know what? Just do better, man. I just need you to be better. Um, we did have the Lackey Grand Prix top four games get in, and John beat Jay. So John Early is in the final, and he is going to be facing JD, who beat Rob Smith. So, and we know at least one of those is on combo, probably both, since they are letting that play out, even though there's been a rule change they are going to finish the Lackey Grand Prix under the rules that were in effect when it started. So we're looking for a winner between John Early and JD. So if you remember a couple of weeks ago, it's on YouTube. You can go and find on JD's channel these two paired up, and it was a 5-0 win. So I guess we're just going to be living that coin flip life with them again. 
you know, it's kind of like, what was it last year? Did you go first? Then you won. So whoever goes first is going to win. <laughs> Make sure you got like seven souls out. <laughs> one so you can go first. Yeah. Oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> um, <laughs> abilities to look for souls. <laughs> whole deal. Nobody was playing Hopper. <laughs> it was just like. Yeah, everybody replaced Hopper with Jehoichin, the guy that captures himself. <laughs> All right, so um, I guess in addition to the announcement for the rule change, which we're going to go over as the main topic, so not not touching that here, but in addition to that announcement, there was the announcement that GOC Phase 1 is now tournament legal. So as of March 31st, when that announcement came down, GOC Phase 1 is now tournament legal. So hopefully, you know, we start getting some feedback on, you know, actual gameplay in the live tournaments, you know, face-to-face with these cards, which I'm definitely looking forward to. If you recall, a few weeks ago we had Chris Fashman on to kind of review his process and, you know, get some feedback from other community leaders for playgroup building and one of the things that we revisited on that was him talking about his level decks and introduction decks. And it has happened. It has finally happened. Chris has followed through and helped us out here. He has posted the level decks and the introduction decks. I'm not saying that I didn't think it was going to happen, but I did have a few doubts. But those are posted, and you can go and look at those, and you can, you know, if you want to start building those out to use that as a process for building your play group then you can but even if you don't it's kind of a, a good thing to look over to kind of see like the steps of how he built his play group and had his players go through this to learn the different mechanics of the game and different strategies involved with deck building so it was pretty cool reading those and I guess that's going to do it for the news section it seemed like last week we were like an hour into the episode when we finished up the news section and this this week we're just we're okay Looking right along. So we'll get into some spoilers now. And I'll try to go in the order that they were spoiled because I believe I have them listed that way. But I'm not entirely sure. So I definitely know that the K&L starter cards were revealed before the Phase 2 cards. So we'll start with Philistine Archer. This is a black Mono Brigade Evil Warrior class character the numbers are three and five it's a generic philistine and it's going to do something similar to archers in the past you may underdeck a hero in a territory opponent may underdeck a good card from hand instead so it does give them an out to where they can underdeck a good card from hand instead seems pretty straightforward not much to say on that one what do you think brad um i can't remember what territory class characters look like in the knl but I could think of a few uh, territory class characters I'd love to underdeck with that card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, a Mary protecting or something like that. Just turn it off real quick. Yep. Um, and then we've got Hannah. Hannah is part of the K starter deck. She is a green mono brigade hero, and her numbers are four and three. And the ability is you may look at opponent's hand. You may exchange this card for a first Samuel hero in territory. So you can look at opponent's hand and then you can exchange for, you know, your David or your other hero or whatnot. So come in, gather information, exchange. 
So we've seen that kind of played out in some cards that have come out in the most recent sets, and we're going to have something similar, like the mechanic similar in the starter decks, which is pretty cool. So I guess realize and remember that the starter decks are mirrored. Philistine Archer, I'm guessing that means there's going to be an Egyptian Archer or Egyptian something that does that ability. Who do you think Hannah's going to be when you flip it over to the other starter deck? Do you think that's going to be like uh, Miriam? <laughs> Boy, I can't even give you a guess on that one. I, I forgot that they were even Exodus on the other side. Yeah, because they've really, it's really cool. I was explaining it to my wife, the the starter decks, the way that they work. So you have David and the Egyptian defense. Uh, so David heroes and then Egyptian defense. And then you've got the Moses heroes and or Exodus heroes, what have you, and the Philistine defense so that the David offense will be fighting the Philistine thematically in the other deck. And then the Moses offense is going to be fighting the Egyptians to maintain thematic, you know, encounters across both decks, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So, you know, with a with a it's easy with the generic like Philistine archer to be like, oh well that's gonna be Egyptian archer or Egyptian something. But Hannah, like then you start thinking about which character could that be? Jacobed. Jacobed. <laughs> Jacobed. You just wanted to say the name, didn't you? Yeah. We call her Joe. <laughs> Short. I mean, one thing that I, I would say that without even having played this, I'm more excited to teach somebody with this set than ever you know any other absolutely and that's not again it's not a knock on the inj starter decks or the fourth edition starter decks per se it's by the time me and you came into the game it was 2019 they were already like eight years old the reserve had come out there was so many changes to the way that the game was played to where they were just I mean, to be honest, they were just slow and outdated versus what actual gameplay was once you got into the game. Yeah, especially with, uh, you know, stuff not matching up with the brigades and the souls not being out, you know, oh, I can't do anything this turn. Okay, well, I have to pass my turn. Yeah, or having the enhancements, but don't they don't match the hero or evil character you have. So you get into a battle, and then you've got the card to play, but you can't because of the brigade, whatever. I think... From what we've seen so far from the starter decks, I really do think that they processed all of the issues that they had in the starter decks, and they fixed what it looks like they fixed a lot of them. I won't say all of them because we haven't seen all of the starter decks, and we don't. I'm not going to speak out of pocket about something I don't know about, per se. But what we've seen is a concentrated effort to kind of clean it up and have the more interactive turns be more consistent within the starter decks. And on top of that, we've also seen them kind of keep the simplicity of it. Like even though you have these abilities and there's, you know, extra things that they do, I think when you look at, okay, Hannah, you may look at opponent's hand. Okay, I do that. And then you may exchange this card for a first Samuel hero in territory. That's pretty straightforward to me. Like, it's not something that leaves a question or you have to, you know, get a ruling on how that works. It seems like they're maintaining the simplicity, but keeping uh, a focus on the interactive aspect of each turn and each battle phase or whatnot, Mm -hmm. which I think is something the INJ starter decks kind of lacked because you would have turns to where they didn't. I could play my turn 
and literally not be able to do anything and have to pass my turn. And that's not a that's not a good way to do anything because it's just at the end of the day that's boring and it's hard to get an 8 to 12 year old which you know with the Royal Rangers and and things of that nature that we're reaching out to and the target audience being younger kids you know to start them in the process of playing redemption it's hard to it's hard to keep up with the YouTube videos the video games and things when the product that you're putting in their face, you're like, hey, check this out. And it doesn't grab their attention and hold their attention. But if there's interactive exchanges back and forth consistently and you don't have those turns of, oh, man, I can't do anything, you don't want any type of negative play experience in the starter decks. And from what we've seen, I think they do a good job of eliminating at least the ones that I saw present in the INJ starter decks. Yeah, the... Change in the card design, uh, I think, helps a little bit too, right? Yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's pretty cool. I, I was just talking before we started recording that if you look, because I've got the way that I do my outline for the podcast, I grab all of the images that have been spoiled through the week and put them beside each other. So you can look at the accumulator, which is the next card we're going to go over that was spoiled through uh, the spoiler channel on Discord, and look at Philistine Archer and see the identifier line with the bubble, the new layout. And generally, I think every every aspect of it is probably an improvement. What do you think, Brad? Yeah, it just always seemed like the accumulator style was, the way they made it, looking at it, even with the red text, you know, with it being the Gospels and all for the Bible verse, it, it seemed like, man, this was really good compared to the scroll type that we started out with, you know. But then you kind of look at the new style and you're kind of like, hmm, that makes that card look (laughs) not as good. (laughs) Yeah. I think that identifier line cleans up so much of, you know, that text in between the two boxes, the ability box and then the art box. Yeah. So I guess we'll look at the accumulator that I mentioned was spoiled in the uh, Discord. And this was done kind of uh, April Fool's prank if you will Jaden posted two cards and said which one of these do you think is real or fake and they both turned out to be basically fake but parts of them or aspects of them were technically kind of true to where they made a separate card and that is the accumulator I'm just going to say I hope whatever that worm was did not make it into art (laughs) (laughs) well I would just like to say that when it comes to April Fool's pranks are, are are trying to get the community i think i did a better job than Jaden. <laughs> so shots fired i think i did a better job with the podcast layout but you know to each their own so we'll look at the accumulator here we'll see what his rebuttal is on his next video yeah <laughs> <laughs> on on thoughts from Jaden's floor studios <laughs> studio floor man studio floor my bad <laughs> the accumulator is a Mono Brigade Orange Demon, and he has seven seven numbers. It's territory class has an X identifier, and the X is the number of your Wicked Spirit tokens placed on the character. Wicked Spirit token is a one three orange male demon. All right, the ability is once per game you may create seven evil character tokens. If your gospel demon blocks, 
You may place up to seven of your Wicked Spirit tokens on a character. Decrease that character XX. So, I guess I the first thing I would like to make known here is that it says if your Gospel Demon blocks... So this card does not have to be the one that blocks just a gospel demon. And then you may place up to seven, which you can only have, you know, a max of seven because that's how many are created once per game. Um, you may place up to seven of your Wicked Spirit tokens on a character. Decrease that character XX. So that character does not have to be in battle, just on a character. So you could also, you could also theoretically use this to lower decrease your whatever hero so that you could because it doesn't paralyze when you put them on it just lowers their number so you could lower and try to get initiative with somebody you could you know target someone in their their territory or you could target who's in battle so it's like it's wide open on who you can place these tokens on but it's another token card and you know, that seems to be a, a theme throughout GOC. But this one's kind of straightforward. There's a limit of seven. It's not anything crazy like what we saw when Church of Christ first came out, you know, which has been toned down by the rule change that we'll talk about. But this is seven, and you keep up with them seven. You place them on to decrease. So Yeah, and I, I like this card. Uh, I think there's a lot you could probably do with it, especially when it comes to some of these – uh, low defense characters, maybe in territory or maybe in battle, or whatever. <clears throat> the only thing that I would probably have a question on this, just in looking at it right now, you know, it says decrease that character XX. So my question would be if the accumulator dies, does that just stick somehow? Because usually, like, when the card's gone and it's like uh, on with the XX, the XX is can change depending on like oh because it's dynamic and if the accumulator leaves then the identifier that is dynamic leaves the field of play yeah hmm. so i wonder how they'll rule that like so yeah. i come out with my accumulator and i create my tokens and as soon as i do that you hit me with angel of the lord i now still have the tokens because you didn't do anything to negate it i still have the tokens but now i want to place them does it decrease them XX? Well, it would have to be after somebody came into battle. Like, maybe he goes into battle, and then you snipe him with... Well, I was just saying, like, if he comes out and the Angel of the Lord, if the Angel... Oh, Cause you yeah, because you, you would just have tokens that don't do anything. Yeah. But if, if he comes into battle, he places them, and then he gets Angel of the Lorded, but then they somehow remove a couple of the demons, but not all of them... You know, I I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. Sorry, Look at sorry you to bring to, this up. <laughs> Look at you trying to find the problem in things. <laughs> I'm just trying to um, figure out how it works, so I know how to win. Okay, well, <laughs> I guess maybe we can uh, look for some clarification on that. But overall, I think it's a a kind of unique card that lets you, if you're running rubble and dust, okay, you know, you can easily turn that into Christian martyr just like that. I place a token. I come into battle. I place a token. Now I play Rubble and Dust. All right. If that was a lone hero that they were rescuing with, now you've put yourself in a good spot to win the battle, depending on if they have, you know, some type of add to battle ability. Yeah. Regardless of protect, too. Yeah. So that's a, 
you know, that's a pretty useful card um, in that sense. But I don't know how much you people are going to want to dedicate that. It, it'd be interesting to see what other demons are coming out in Phase 2 to see if that finds a spot in decks or not. So we'll move on, and I'll let you, I'll let you read off the next card, Brad. It seems like I'm having all the fun. <laughs> You're good. Uh, so we got Resurrection Revealer. It's a angel. Uh, it's 8-6, territory class. Uh, generic Empty Tomb Prophet, which is interesting. Um, while you control at least two gospel angels, negate opponents' neutral cards. If attacking, you may exchange this card with an Empty Tomb Human from deck or take a good gospel dominant from deck. So this card does a, a lot. Bonkers. Yeah. It's bonkers. Where's your? You need an effect for that, right? <laughs> yeah, I need to get my sound pad all all up and running. Um, we had fun with the sound pad last time. So, um, but yeah, hey, it's an it's another negate opponents neutral cards. Which, you know, at this point, I'm like, hey, why just limit yourself to one opponents <laughs> negate neutral? Right. Why not put two in there? Put Obed well, and this guy. <laughs> well, the thing the thing I like about him is there's. There's very limited meek angels, so it doesn't do the meek route. It just, while you control two, or at least two gospel angels, so obviously he is one, and then you just have to have one more to trigger his ability. They get opponents neutrals. And then the other ability is really good, too. So what if I told you, like, Akeem, Obed, all of those, they have okay abilities, but how many of them can turn into Son of God on a rescue attempt? Yeah. Like, how many of them can you, like, when you're fishing for your son of God at the end of a game, just go into battle and get it? Yeah. So if attacking, you may exchange this card with an empty tomb human, which empty tomb humans are going to be... They're, okay. Well, it's got to be a P- good, good gospel dominant. Okay. but we, Yeah, I guess, yeah, they have the Luke one, right? Yep, they've got the... the major. Yeah, the manger one. Um, But then you could, you could go into Crowd's Choice, right? That's a good gospel dominant. So, I mean, beyond that, though, you know Peter is going to be an empty tomb human because he was there at the at the tomb. The thing about it, though, is with the exchange, it makes it difficult. Do you want to keep your negate neutral out? Because being a territory class, as soon as it exchanges, the ability cuts off negating neutrals. Well, I think it's just like a check for, like, like if, if you open your hand with just Obed or just Akeem, you push him into battle, it's like, man, that's all I got, you know. But you push this guy you in. Push this guy you in. You can go and get Crowd's Choice, and then go into Angel. Yeah, you can. Well, you can exchange him for Peter or somebody. Oh uh, yeah, that's a last that resort too. type yeah. thing, you know. Or if they shuffled all your characters and you're left with him, he's still somebody that can as a backup, you know. But yeah. Primarily, most people are probably just going to use him for that first ability. I tell you what. I I cannot wait to see all of the angels. I've never been I've never been a a guy that's built an angel deck just because like angels have been in decks of, that I've built, but I've never like dedicated to like angels because it seems like they work with the theme that they're for better than they do like just putting them all together to me personally. But between this and Gabriel, which we'll talk about in a minute and knowing that like uh Michael Chief Prince recently came out, and you have the exp- uh, ex. How do you, how do you say the card? Expatriator. <laughs> I'm gonna have to yep. go back to vocab class, <laughs> but anyway, 
And you know he's just from the artwork that is going to be one bad dude. Yeah. I mean that that dude looks nasty, like like in a good way. Like the artwork just looks like his ability has to be really good. So hopefully the design team, you know, feels that same way. And when that card is revealed with the ability, it's an awesome ability because the artwork looked pretty awesome on that one. But angels being that there's three different types of angels in GOC between um, Empty Tomb, you have Nativity Angels, and then um, I, I think... I, I guess everything else just falls into gospel angels. I thought there was three different di- uh, divisions of them, though, like prophet. subset. Well, yeah, there's prophet angels now, uh, especially like Gabriel. I think that's the first time there's been, you know, green represented on an angel for a prophet. But, you know, we're not going to skip over. I said we were going to maintain the order. So after Resurrection Revealer, I think that's a solid card. Yeah. Um. Very, very solid. The next one, and I know this is one that like I was looking forward to seeing what the ability was because I knew it was going to do something with stars because we saw kind of a bit of it, and it had a star ability on a dominant. And now we have get the full ability, and, man, I know Jared, who is him on Discord, I know that he mentioned that this card looked pretty good. I think it was him that – it looked like one of what was possibly going to be his favorite card from phase two. Man, like it is so good. It is so good. Like, all right, let's read it all off before I, I just, you know, start drooling here. Star of Bethlehem. I, I will give you guys, since you can't, maybe you haven't seen it yet. I'll give you one guess what the artwork is. All right. You guessed it. It is the star over the city and it's got an identifier line that says nativity x equals number of your nativity heroes limit six all right limit six the star ability draw up to six so draw up to x so you could draw up to six if you draw it later on in the game when you have heroes established in territory and then the dominant side i i say dominant side it has the lamb icon which Brad pointed this out. It doesn't really make much sense to me why the lamb icon here is unless they wanted to make sure that you knew this was a dominant ability. But it's on a dominant card, so I I don't necessarily understand why the icon is there. But you may reveal, discard pile, and up to X cards from hand. And that's limit six. So it's going to work better if you're in the nativity theme and you have nativity heroes established in territory. Activate up to X good star abilities on those cards and our cards you control. Limit twice per game. And limit twice per game is definitely a needed phrase in that because there's lots of ways to get good star cards back from discard pile. And being that this is the first dominant that's got a star ability, you know, there's, there's, there would be ways to loop it back into your deck or your hand. Um, and so limit twice per game makes sense to have a, a limit clause in the card. But think about all the star abilities. Like you get a card, you use the star ability. Like delivered is one. So delivered, I get it. I use the star ability. I hit the top card of your deck. I play it into Denarius to draw cards, whatever. 
And then it's in my discard pile. When I play Star of Bethlehem, I get to discard the top card of your deck again. <laughs> like, it definitely is a thematic card similar to, well, maybe not exactly similar because there's not a unity clause on it. It's just the X identifier. But like a new beginning to where like it it's made almost specifically for that theme. This one, obviously, you could splash and just have lower numbers if you're not dedicated to having up to six nativity heroes. But it's it's made to make nativity, you know, it's a it's a bonus to that theme. So, what do you think about that, Brad? Yeah, I think when I initially read it, I thought it was like, man, what what were these guys on making this card? Honestly, I was like. They just talk about – we've had all this talk about power creep coming in in different ways uh, with some of these cards. But um, now, I mean, kind of really sitting and thinking about it, honestly, if you want to get the max value six, you have to dedicate six of your heroes to nativity heroes. So it does it does feel like a theme-based dominant, kind of like a you know voice from heaven or something. Like, not everybody's going to play that. It seems like it, it – I mean – if you play that card the right way and get rid of somebody's entire reserve, I mean, that can really switch the game if they're not expecting that. Um, and the same thing here. Um, but if you can pull this off, yeah, talk about draw power, talk about discarding their, their uh, cards off the deck or reserving uh, with a lot of the gold cards. I mean, there's 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 a lot of creativity you can put here with it, so uh, I'm all for it. I think it's I, th- I I think it's balanced enough. I don't I don't see it being like super overpowered as like I normally did initially did. Yeah, I think it's kind of like some people will see voice of heaven or voice from heaven. I'm sorry, that that card kind of gets thrown around with an incorrect title a lot to where it's kind of sticking a little bit. But it's voice from heaven, not voice of heaven. Um, but some people see that card. And they're they're really gravitated towards it, and they're like, "All right, well now I want to build my deck to utilize this card." And I think Star of Bethlehem is like that. It's going to be fun for some players, and then some players are going to be like, "Okay, it's not worth dedicating, you know, the resources to it, or leave it just, you know, if they were to pick up the Nativity theme." But it's going to be one of those cards that like someone out there is going to going to gravitate towards it, and it's going to be fun for them, and they're going to enjoy it every time they play it. And then they're going to get it back from discard pile, and they're going to play it again. It, I mean, if you if you don't have nativity characters, you can't play this card, right? So I mean, you have to. Well, you, I mean, you could splash like Mary and you know an angel or something yeah. in some other decks, and you know, depending on you know what the abilities are and what's what's worth using in other decks, to where you could you know so, kind of kind of like vain visions to where. It's you know there's a lot of times where people might play that like in booster draft or something which you know booster draft is going to be a thing with GOC yeah um, to where you might not hit all six of I think that's the limit on vain visions you might not have six evil prophets or whatever it is but you know you could hit hit two and you could look at and and do something with two cards to where Star of Bethlehem even if it's hitting two you know depending on how you how you get it, how you utilize it in a deck, maybe that's worth something to you. I don't know. Well, you, you could always use the star ability on Star Bethlehem to draw because it's a card in play. I think that was one of the things they talked about on Discord. Um, 
and use something else. Let's say you have two characters. You can use that star ability and then another star ability. So you're saying when you play Star of Bethlehem and it's activating, it gets to trigger its own star ability? You can choose because uh, part of the ability says... Because I was thinking about that earlier, but it's not in or, discard or, pile or at that point. you control, and you control it. So you, oh, can, you yeah. can use it as one of them. Yeah, I got you. So, but, you know, it's one of them. I, I really feel like if you only got two nativity guys... Your characters in your deck. I don't know that you play this card. I think you have to. Right. You you would probably want to do it four more, and it's it's a late game dominant too. You know, it's not something you it's unless not you combo out with Widow. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> so, so all you really need is Widow, and then like seven or eight Nativity guys. Now imagine you get to hit that that Life in the Sun when it's in your discard pile. You get to use that star ability. <laughs> Anyway, uh, all jokes aside, like definitely, I think it's maximized in in that. But I, I was I was saying more more or less for like booster draft or something to where you get it and you only draft like one or two. Like you might still throw that in there, just you know, based on. So I guess we'll move on to Gabriel, Mouth of God, and I think this might be one of my favorite pieces of artwork so far in. Gospel of Christ, mostly because I know where it came from, and I know that it came from the Archangels comics, which, look at this, Brad. I've got the background image right here. The background image, which is what you can't quite see um, because it's covered up with the the image that's in the foreground, but the ribbon at the bottom and stuff, um, that is coming from the cover of episode or uh, issue number seven of the Archangels, the saga. And I've got that in my hand right now, and it's pretty cool. And I'm hoping, I told Brad before we started recording, I really hope that Gabriel Mouth of God is a GOC only promo to where we get the full art of that background image. That would be pretty cool. Um, so I can hold out hope for that. I know that Gabe said it was going to be a while before we figure that out, and it'll probably be released in that lull that happens after Nationals. So not expecting any answer anytime soon. That gives you more time to think about it, Elder Team, to go ahead and get me the Gabriel Mouth of God alternate image in the full art um, card style, so for GOC only. Maybe a custom card for hosting the Threshing Floor or something? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> if they were to ever let me get a custom card, I think it would have to be the threshing floor custom card. <laughs> I think I would be, you know, forced to do that. But wow, uh, yeah, I have no kind of pull. I'm just hoping, holding out hope. So let's talk about Gabriel Mouth of God because he looks awesome. He is a five and twelve dual brigade hero. Yes. He is an angel, and he is dual brigade. He has green on him for being a prophet. And he has an identifier line of angel, nativity. And and by the way, angel is actually needed here because according to the reg, if it's not a mono brigade, it's not assumed that it is an angel. So they put that on there to differentiate and make sure that, you know, it doesn't trigger anything that's done by a human prophet. So it is... It is an angel and not a human in any way. It's nativity, and like we said, it's a prophet. So his ability is negate an evil card. Okay, pretty good so far. There's actually, that's 
that's what captain of the host that that comes in negates an evil card so um you know something we've seen there before and then the rest of the ability is you may take a silver gospel card from deck or discard pile if you do not may ban to a gospel hero not a gospel angel a gospel hero or you may reserve an evil card from opponent's deck cannot be negated so you can come into battle and you can take a silver you come in and negate a card you may take a silver gospel card from deck or discard pile so now I'm interested to see what some of the enhancements are going to be for angels you know because you would assume it's not going to be anything so overpowered because he's going to be able to recur it um, but may ban to a gospel hero if you do not so now you have the potential to blend him in with you know any other type of type of offense because he can ban to a gospel hero any type of offense in GFC or you may reserve an evil card from opponent's deck which is kind of a you know throwback to his previous ability there was a Gabriel that I believe just discarded an evil enhancement or something like that from you know your opponent's deck so cannot be negated I think it's a pretty solid card Brad what do you think yeah, this is goes back. It feels like angels are just going to be very versatile. Like, I mean, you may use them this way, this battle, this way in this scenario, but either way, you're going to be all right. <laughs> you know, you're negating card. That's great. Taking what you need. I, I, I really have a draw towards things that get stuff out of discard. That's why I've, I'm a big fan of like music leader. Most of the time, it's not necessarily. It's great to get. Cards we made out of it. Deck. We made it. Forty minutes in. On the recording, and I know we we're going to cut stuff out in editing, but Brad, you made it 40 minutes before you mentioned Music Leader, so I'd just like to hey. everybody give him a round of applause. Let's be, hey, when's the, we're going to go back through every episode. How many times have I mentioned Music Leader? It's the first time. I doubt that. First I episode. That. I think I mentioned him earlier, but, um, I'm, you know, I won't say the other guy. <laughs> Hard after God. <laughs> King Noah, no. yeah. um, but touche. <laughs> there you go. It's like the pot kettle, the call of the kettle black, right? Um, but the fact that he can get something out of discard pile, like an enhancement like that, that's that seems like a pretty big deal. That that would be a big draw for me. I would like to just make it known that Gabriel recurring a gospel, uh, a silver gospel card from deck or discard pile. I hate to tell the eaten by worms brigade. The, the 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 click of, of you know Royal Rangers that are really enthralled by eaten by worms that that card is unfortunately from Axe so Gabriel can't just come in and recur eaten by worms every turn which would be really cool for some of those young kids that really gravitate towards that card for whatever reason but you can't do it sad day so I think Gabriel mouth of God is a pretty cool looking card. And I think it, we would it, we would be doing a disservice not to mention the cool fact that you have like the banner wrapping around the text box at the bottom, the ability, which is something I don't know that we've seen before with the, the ribbon overlaying the corner and then about midway through at the bottom line. I do think it would have been cool to see the book that he's reaching at and pointing 
if it kind of laid over the frame right there on the outside to where it was coming out of the framework to where he's reaching beyond the frame to the book. That would have been pretty cool. But I don't know if that was an option or not, but that would have really taken this up a notch and made this probably the best, like, 3D element card that we've gotten. You know, that's not, like, you know, over the top, but, like, it really pops or whatnot. I think it would have been cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, just kind of looking at some of these nativity themes, I was, you know, thinking about the disciples and Samaritans slash gold and thinking about this. It, it, it has the feel to it that nativity might be the strongest offensive theme in GOC. I don't know. Um, it could be. It could be. It very well could be. It, it just has that feel like it has the most like punch to it, even if you have like a lone hero, you know. Well, that's uh, the that's the thing, is you, we've already you know we've heard from we've heard from Gabe that nativity is going to gain benefits by you having lower number of cards in hand. You recall that, right? Yeah. So, I think. Like every every hero seems to be like cannot be negated or cannot be interrupted, something like that. But not only that, but they they come in and they do something to generate you some type of value. So like Joseph, and we're just rolling into the next one. We'll we'll talk about him, Joseph the betrothed, nativity, and you may take a good or neutral nativity card from reserve or deck if opponent has hand advantage. Well, of course you're wanting them to have hand advantage. So more than likely, you're going to be able to go to your deck if you're playing this theme the way that it was designed to play. And then may ban to marry. So you come in, you take a good or neutral nativity card from reserve or deck. So let's just say you're going to your deck, you get a card. That card could be Mary, or you could grab another card if you already have Mary down, and then may ban to Mary, who can convert. I think she, she does something, she converts to take a card from reserve, uh, something like that. So you're coming in and you're generating your resources to try to win that battle. And this is just in the very few cards that we've seen out of nativity, that that's the kind of the way it's going to operate. And if you notice that with star of Bethlehem, you know, you might not have any cards in your hand. You might draw star of Bethlehem midway through the game. Now you can play it to generate more value because your hand is going to be limited because you're playing the theme the way it's supposed to. So, I mean, it it does seem like it's going to pack a pretty good punch. Um, But Joseph the Betrothed is an 11-9 Mono Brigade white hero. His only identifier is Nativity. His ability is you may take a good or neutral Nativity card from reserve or deck if opponent has hand advantage. And then... You know, like I said, may ban to Mary, Holy Virgin. So it's specified Mary, Holy Virgin, not just Mary. So you can't do any shenanigans with any other version of Mary. And then cannot be negated. So seems like a pretty pretty solid card. And like you said, it's it's starting to build out that type of feel that if you get these cards, it it also feels like not just knocking not not knocking any other theme that we've seen out of GOC because we haven't we haven't seen enough to to say and rank really. Once it all comes out, then you know we can have a podcast episode where we talk about what we think is, you know, like this is the S tier of offense for GOC only. You know, this is the A B whatever. 
But it seems like nativity so far is going to be the one that plays. If you just have the cards in your hand, they're going to play really centralized with each other, if that makes sense. Like you can take some of the gold stuff and you can splash it with other things and whatnot, but nativity, it almost looks like you want to keep it together and then you want to use the cards exactly as designed to maximize the benefit. Yeah. I, I, I think I'd agree with that. I think there's, you're not, it's not super splashable offense is what it feels like. Yes. And it, it, that's probably what's making it feel like it's the more complete or more strong, like, you know, packing that punch or whatnot that you mentioned. It's just because every card you see just, like, reinforces the, the theme that it's trying to do or the, the strategy that it's trying to do, which is low cards in your hand generate value as you come into battle. But that's Joseph the Betrothed, which, you know, we had seen this artwork last year when they were starting to spoil artwork for cards, and now we finally got the full ability for him. And that's going to bring us to Purloin, and I'll let you go over that one, Brad. Purloin, 3-2, uh, Crimson, Evil Enhancement, Star Ability, Take a Card Except a Dominant, um, which I really like. Um, take a card that, that essentially just goes into anything in play, uh, and... Man, the possibilities on that if you draw it, you know, mid-game. It's pretty cool. Um, interrupt the battle. If used by a thief, you may take a card to hand or territory. Um, again, it seems like – I know there's been a lot of hype around the thief theme. And I wonder how many people – this this will be good to um, kind of figure out too at some point – I wonder how many people would rather play demons or thieves. I know you could probably mix them a little bit here and there because, like, Judas and all that, but, like, if you're going to pick one or the other, it seems like both are going to be, like, really good and kind of do their own things, but they both seem like they're really, like, fun to play. So you could really mess your opponent up. Yeah. I think um, the fact that you can, off the star ability, you could get any card in play, any card. Yeah, take their three woes or something, right? Well, not with the star ability because it says accept a dominant. Oh, man. Yeah. So they, they're thinking ahead of you. But but wait for it. You take any card. So you play this as a battle winner. Interrupt the battle. If used by a thief, you may take a card to hand or territory. So you interrupt the battle, and now you can target their battle winner, whatever they play to win the battle. You could take their hero, or you could take their three woes in territory and then turn around and play it. <laughs> can't take three woes. You can on the ability. Oh. Inter- interrupt the battle. If used by a thief, you may take a card. Oh. And that one doesn't say accept a dominant. True. So you can take three woes and then play it on their battle winner. <laughs> uh, so I think – and. That's kind of what Gabe was saying because he's the one that picked this card. Was he's always been, you know, intrigued by cards that let you take advantage and you know use the opponent's resources as t- a type of you know mechanic within the game. And you know that's where a lot of the ideas of thieves, you know that that's basically what they're trying to do is take your opponent's resources and use them to your benefit. Yeah, uh, this card reminded me of David Outcast Refuge because. Um, do yeah. what? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I need you to work me through this. 
Most people don't know this because they just kind of look straight past it. But David Outcast Refuse Star ability says, "Oh, take, take, take a take red a, warrior. Take a generic. Oh, warrior. oh, generic. Okay, yeah. So, but thinking about that from LOC, and then a couple sets later, or no, one the set next later, set, next yeah. set later, take a card except the dominant. You know, it went from take a generic warrior to take a card except the dominant. Um, so that's a much stronger star ability, I feel like. But you know, hey, you get enough of these in your deck, you start picking off their territory." <laughs> Yeah, pretty quick. And imagine, imagine if they've got like, um, what's the what's the card from before? The Resurrection Revealer in their territory. You interrupt the battle. You take their card, and then you turn around and go into battle and go and search for your, you know, your Luke reference, Son of God, to drop your Second Coming and Son of God for the win. Imagine just that like turnaround play. Like, oh man, I can't believe you got me. Actually, I really don't think that would be the response of some players. <laughs> It'd be like, son of a gun, you beat me with my own card. <laughs> so definitely the interaction of that. What's more interactive than you using my cards against me and me using my cards against you potentially if it's like thieves versus thieves? Yeah. Like that that could turn into some cool gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think – Thieves overall are going to be something interesting to play with. You know, it's weird because when GOC first released, I thought that Sadducees and Pharisees, I was like, okay, the way that they're manipulating Meek Souls, it's like, why wouldn't you play? Like, what could be better? Yeah, the play the play test and, and design team already know what could be better. Like, could you imagine instead of manipulating Souls – you're just getting blocks by taking like your opponent plays a battle winner, you just take it. Or, you know, they play a battle they or you get into a battle where you're on offense and you're you know, you're rescuing, and then you play a card that you've taken from them previously to win a battle that way. Because I know that Den of, Th- Den of Thieves is going to give you some type of benefit to play cards. There's gotta be a way to play cards that you take. You don't just take them to hold them for no reason. So yeah, I think um, I, I do like the direction the game's going as far as making themes, you know, really geared towards a certain play style. Um, but co- and one reason for that too is like just even thinking it, it, it makes it more challenging. And kind of like when you're on offense, for instance, if 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 you're expecting to play like against a thief defense or something because that's what's popular, and then somebody pulls out the Pharisees and Sadducees. That just makes the Pharisees and Sadducees like that much better, because your offense is not geared to stop a soul protect. Or if if you're kind of going, to, it's uh, it's hard to have an answer built in for multiple different things yeah. because themes are starting to be more identified with this strategic style. This is what I'm going for here, and it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of you know figuring out what that is, but not making it overwhelming. Like Old Testament Egyptians, they would mill cards and they would take your cards and they would di- they would discard them and then you could potentially lose the game because you know a handful of your best cards got discarded. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of creates a little bit of that. You know, I know it's a term that gets thrown out way too much NPE negative play experience, almost to the point to where I wish I'd never heard the term. But it's not as negative now. They're being reserved with the gold 
in New Testament uh, out of GOC. They're getting reserved, and then you can potentially get them back and use them later in the game, but they're just more difficult to access as opposed to, you know, a permanent removal. So I think that each theme having, you know, kind of a direction that it's trying to go is going to lead to some pretty cool things within the meta when everything gets, you know, to that point. You know, like we get all of GOC out and, you know, maybe the next set they'll continue that trend. But I really hope it starts to lead to like Star of Bethlehem for nativities. That's like something that you probably, if you're playing nativity theme, you're probably going to want to play that card. And I just hope that we get a little bit more of the niche dominance, but not to where like this card is completely useless unless you're playing this exact theme, because I don't know that that's necessarily the right way to go that far, that end of the spectrum, but something to where you gain an extra benefit if you are using the theme that it's associated with. You know, like a new beginning is completely pointless unless you're using Flood Survivors to where a new beginning is not really a, you know... It's a good dominant, but as flood survivors have, you know, gotten passed by a little bit with a little bit of the power creep and things and their their limitations. Their limitations, Jay. Don't no Jay. Jay. Okay. I'm glad we got that out of the way, Jay. Um but anyway, their limitations. And you have like one of the biggest limitations for flood survivors right now with the current meta is look at every deck that that Tyler's posting. Because he's putting them out a lot. Look at every deck that Jaden's posting. There's, you know, 10 to 12 heroes in a lot of those decks. You only have eight Flood Survivors. No more, no less. Now you have a couple of different versions of Shim and Noah. But you're limited to using what else is there to maintain unity to get that dominant to work. So I think too much on that end of the spectrum isn't great. But a card like Star of Bethlehem to where you could potentially use it somewhere else. But it's maximized in the theme that it's built for is a pretty cool thing to see. And I hope that that trend, you know, continues with a few more dominants that are theme specific. Yeah. Even, even something like burial that, yeah. you know, it or, makes you want to play meek souls or let astray. Yeah. Or let astray. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're using meek souls. So that's going to do it for the spoilers that have come out in the last week. And now we'll move on to the main topic here, which is going to be, the new rule change and as we get into this just for anyone that is not aware if you don't um, know about the rule change I'm just going to briefly read off the announcement that John Early posted on the 31st so it says redemption players a couple important announcements regarding the upcoming major tournament season firstly we are pleased to announce that the majority of players now have GOC either in hands or access to it through major retailers. Thusly, he, he had to find a way to use thusly. Thusly, GOC phase one is now tournament legal. So that's where we got the announcement that I mentioned at the top of this, that GOC phase one is tournament legal. Secondly, we feel it is important to have a plan in place for things that have proven to be problematic with GOC becoming legal. We have seen the first Lost Soul and Ephesian Widow plus Life in the Sun used to create massive card advantage. In a costless game, it is inherently unhealthy when things are this repeatable. Thus, we are implementing a rule change. Redemption Aggie will have official wording for this rule coming soon. 
Essentially, players will be limited to four activations of an ability per turn. We feel this fixes both current draw interactions. It will also slow down very strong cards such as Jeshua and Eyes to See, plus the Foretelling Angel. We went this direction for a number of reasons and feel it is the healthiest thing for the game in terms of future-proofing going forward. Thanks, the Elder Team. So, let me ask you, Mr. Brad, what is your initial reactions? Well, um, it is incredibly hard to catch everything when you're printing out a new set with all the cards. So... I th- I think that you know something like this was definitely needed. Yeah. Um, well, I will tell you that when I saw it initially, I had the same thought that I think a lot of people have is, you know, it's when you see a rule change versus you know tweaking a card or two, you almost wonder if the justification for that rule change is there. Um, just as a, you know, a natural thing, like, you know, if something, something happens at work and then you see a policy change, do we need to change that policy because one incident occurred, two incidents, you know, but I definitely think that this is one that when you actually look at what they're changing and then you, you know, find out the nuances of it through discussion later on in the day after the announcement came down, the way that they're planning on it playing out, I definitely think that it's a rule that's easily justified and it stops the type of interactions that are, you know, like, like John put that it's in a costless game. You cannot have infinite loops. When you do that, then you're just asking for someone to exploit that to gain advantage over the opponent and create potential negative experiences on the other side of the table. So I think it's, you know, it took, took me a minute to read through it, you know, conceptualize it and, then there's definitely justification for it. Um, as far as the impact on the current combo scene, we know that, you know, he mentioned the first and the Ephesian Widow combos, and especially the Ephesian Widow has created so much talk and so much, at times, drama with, you know, the reaction to it and the negative expectation of, oh, all right, I don't want to play that to where... <laughs> There for a while, if you looked in the Lackey channel looking for a game, no Widow, please. <laughs> All right. Y'all going to have to quit hating on the Widow. But now she's more in check versus, you know, you know, just running rampant and being able to create that infinite loop. Now you're limited to four activations. So now we start to think, what does that mean for these two combos? Well... I know that I saw someone that said Ephesian widow is dead. The widow is dead. No, homie, you got it messed up. Her husband is dead. That's what made her a widow. Um, She's not dead because in the right build now, and that's the thing in the right build, you can maximize it to get plus 12 in a turn. That's using life in the sun four times, the Ephesian widow to get it back in your hand three times, and at the end of it, you know, you play it the fourth time, the uh, Life in the Sun, to put Ephesian Widow back in your hand to repeat it the next turn. But if you have three meek people out there, every time you play Life in the Sun, you're drawing three. So four times three, ergo, that's 12. So that doesn't deck you out. That gives you, you know, massive advantage for setting that up, but then you're weaker because you're not playing 
quote unquote battle winners. It's not necessarily a balanced deck you're building to gain that advantage. But I think what is really cool about it is I don't know how good Ephesian Widow is anymore. I don't know if it's, you know, in the top level. It probably isn't in the top level because what are you doing after you get 12 cards? That's that's a that's a tougher question to ask and answer than what are you doing once you have every card in your deck? If I've got every card in my deck, okay, I'm putting Golden Calf down, I'm putting the Cross down, and now I'm looping things to manipulate what's in your hand, which is what JD has done in his build of the Widow combo to where he is manipulating you to where you just can never gain advantage. And, that I mean, that's the... Essentially, that's that's the whole point of his combo deck. But now you're getting 12 cards and you're not able to loop like invoking terror to get rid of their entire territory of heroes. It completely, you know, tones it down. But then this is, this is something I almost take as a positive for the rule change versus, you know, if they had gone, first of all, I like that it's clean cut. There's no, we've got exchange cards with Rob. We've got erratas that you have to keep up with the card that it's printed. It's not played as it's printed. I think that's something that the leadership team is desperately trying to keep in check within rotation. And I think it's something that we have to keep in check in order for the game to thrive and grow in the right direction is that the cards play to the text that's on the cards. If the text changes, we have to change the card and get the card out of the card pool. And that's where like endless treasures, the errata, you know, in a year, you're going to have to have the errata version of the card. So there will not be any old lingering text that say draw two, at least in tournament fields and things of that nature. So I think nerfing it in this way by a rule change that limits it versus, you know, making a change to Ephesian Widow where it's limit once per turn. Well, that, that completely kills the Ephesian Widow combo. And we've talked about you know, I had John on last week, and we've talked n- numerous times, um, and I've talked to other members of the elder team about it, you know, off the record or whatever, just in personal conversations, that they want a spot for combo players to be able to play the game how they want to and enjoy the game, but they also want to balance that to where other players can enjoy the game. And I think Children of Light is a good example. When we came in, Brad, Children of Light was – it had just won. It was overpowered. They completely nerfed it. They, you know, took the draw away from it to where it, you know, is not playable, really. It's it's no longer playable. So what you have here with the Widow combo is it's nowhere near as strong, but it's still playable. I think someone could build a deck and try to utilize that quick card advantage to set something up. But again, I don't know if it's good or how good it is but it doesn't completely kill it to where that card is not playable so that's one of the impacts that i like about it and that's specifically for the widow combo um and you you have similar for the first so you can only activate the first for the draw um four times so you can top deck it you know draw and top deck it four times so you get that four if you're playing it with high places you get the draw four off of that so you're generating your 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 plus eight right there, um, but it's not you know to the point to where it's you know allowing you to potentially deck out turn one or anything like that. So 
what do you notice any other impacts or what do you think are the impacts on the combos and how do you feel about the way that it answers the problem that was created with the combos? Um, I just like the idea that it, it gets rid of a lot of things that would completely surprise you like in a tournament, especially like a nationals or something. Not that I've been to one, but had, let's just say there's, there's hope. There's hope. (laughs) There's hope. Somebody talk to my wife, please. No, um, (laughs) had, let's just say Jaden or JD or whoever save this combo to nationals, you know, kept it secret or a combo like it and then brought it out and then did this, or what if he did his hundred card deck (laughs) that that decked out turn one and he brought it and did that and just wiped out your entire deck and won with the cross. (laughs) You know, you, you would be sitting there like, that was really cool, and that took a lot of skill to pull off. But, man, why is this allowed, you know? But the fact that this this rule is in there, it gives me a lot more peace of mind saying, okay, even if they exploit a card somehow, it can only be done four times. I can probably, hopefully, find a way to recover, at least make it a competitive game. You know, I think the more 5-4, 5-3, or even 5-2 games – outside of, like, just them playing Son of God and Second Coming. You know, five, I, I think a 5-3 or 5-4 game is good. So the more of those that we can encourage, and if if, if I'm sitting across from somebody that I know I'm a similar skill, skill level to and they're still able to 5-0 me, that's, that's probably frustrating to me, you know, especially if I've got my best deck out there. So... Yeah, I mean, I really like the rule in, in in that sense. Yeah, I like the rule too, and I think it, I think it answers a a it answers things in a way that keep it clean because, and I know that some people it was brought up. Um, well, this is something else to keep up with, but I don't, I don't, I don't share that thought. I don't think it's hard for me to keep up that I've played or I've activated Jonah's ability four times when you've done a search. I don't think it's hard for me to keep up with that. I can only shield four souls away. If you don't, your opponent will. <laughs> exactly, but, but like I don't, I don't think hey, that that's. Uh, you've already done four. I don't, I don't think that's a problem, as much as like it's a, it's a thought in con, you know, concept and thought. Like, oh well, that could easily get kind of messy because you're keeping up with this. But when it's the exact same card, like I know how many times you've looped the first sacrifice this turn, you know, something like that, like. You, it's easy to keep up with it because it's a specific card. Now, if it was just, you know, search abilities overall, like blanket, you were limited to four. That's not very clean, but being that it's unique activation, so it's the card itself. And it's also limited per turn, not per round. So you can get shield four times if they search, up to four times if they search, you know, when they're blocking on your turn. But then when it resets to their turn, you've got four more for when they do searches in their prep phase and in their battle phase that way. I know that people felt similarly or, or uh, uh, during the uh, – or when the reserve rule came out, especially with all the star abilities that had came out and Prophecies of Christ and stuff, it was like discard a card from reserve or take a card from reserve, top deck a card from reserve, whatever it was. It was like, you can't do that first turn. And the argument was, well, for new players, they're not going to know that. And, you know, they're supposed to know that or just supposed to learn. And I was kind of – I was always kind of like, well, first off, 
somebody's going to tell them. And if not, it only takes you telling them one time, you know, for them to, to get it, really. That's one of the things that's like, like, once you know about the four-card rule, you may not know it first coming to the game if you just pick it up at a store or something, you know, like we did. Yeah. We may not know initially, but that's We didn't okay. know a lot of things. Exactly. Because Redemption is one of them games that you could be in it several years and still not know the rules, right? So, you know, I mean, it's it's not the end of the world having to remember one more thing like that, I don't think. It's, yeah. It's just like your, you know, star abilities only activate on, by game rule. That's not something that's hard to learn. Um, people may be playing it wrong, you know, or they may even choose to play it wrong. They can, you can choose to make up your own rules if you want, I guess. But, you know, I mean, it's just one one more of the things. But I think, like, like you said, it cleans up the game. Yeah, it, it feels like a clean change. And, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of, you know, touch on what we think long-term impacts are on the game state and, you know, future design, new sets coming out, new cards and things of that nature. And I think it's from that aspect, it's only positive. Uh it, it to me feels like this isn't – I know that this was done reactively, and that's where, like I told you, that, that initial thought is, okay, we've got a problem with a few cards, and now we're changing a rule to fix that. That's a bad habit that you can get into. You know, like if every time somebody does something bad at work, I create a new policy change, and I just slap on the bulletin board, you know, new policy change, new policy change. At a, at a certain point, that's a bad habit because you can't you can't police it that way. You know, until you you know, keep it clean and keep it, you know, free flowing. At a certain point, that just becomes overly restrictive when you're creating rules to answer problems. I don't think that's this case. I know that it was done reactively to some combos that we've had in the past. You know, or, or had currently, you know, coming out. You know, things that think about if this rule was in effect with Children of Light, would that deck have been so overpowered? No, it would have been strong, sure. It wouldn't have been overpowered to where, like, you basically get it off, you're going to win, you know, nine, 90% of the time. Now, I wasn't around when Children of Light was played out, so I only know, you know, accounts of it from, you know, secondhand, you know, people telling me stories about it and stuff. But from what I understand of it is the benefit was that you could basically infinitely loop the draws off of, you know, adding, you know, placing these enhancements on your Children of Light. If something like this would have, you know, toned it down to where it was still viable but not overpowered, that'd be cool. So this rule to me feels like, even though it was done to answer a current issue, it's more of a quality of life update. You know, I play Pokemon Go and every now and then they'll do a quality of life update, just something that makes the game flow better or work better. And it's, you know, it's mostly done for like, future-proofing the game for, like, you know, future design elements, things of that nature. This rule feels like that. It feels like, you know, a quality-of-life update, something that should have been here from, honestly, probably the beginning, but at no point does it does it hurt because, you know, it being there, because I don't know of a single card I've activated more than four times that was not part of, you know, this infinite loop that the Widow combo just did. I'm a newer player, but if you look back in the past history of the game, there's very few like legitimate reasons you should be activating the same card ability four times in a turn. Now, if you find a you know an exploit in this card interaction that you know 
slip through play test and was actually made and you know introduced to the field into the card pool okay you can do it four times that keeps things from becoming you know overpowered and broken and just makes them oh this is a cool you know combo concept i can do this and now it creates more space for those type of players to exist within the game and i really do feel like it's more of a quality of life update than just this is a restrictive rule because this was happening. I think it's something that honestly could have been in place for a while and would have just been a good thing. And I think it allows future design to go in a, a direction that it probably wasn't able to do. Let's use Daniel, for example. You have both Eyes to See and the Foretelling Angel. And both of the, those things had to be in the designer's minds when they create cards for Daniel because you don't want Daniel to become overpowered. They already have the potential to, you know, you're not going to land on a Daniel card every time, but with Foretelling Angel, you already get a massive benefit, you know, with the uh, CBN uh, aspect there. And then you get the draw to where, you know, you you can basically infinitely draw until you hit hand limit. Well, now you can only draw four. So now they don't have to worry about that as they build more cards for that theme and that theme can get potentially stronger cards because they don't have to worry about them being exploited to the point where it creates too much advantage for that theme. Yeah, because, I mean, they're already printing cards like Daenerys that will get you a draw four anyway. So what's a yeah you know what's a draw four off Foretelling Angel when you can just do it with one card, you know, or... Um, what did I say, Daenerys, or what was the other one? Plague of Frogs. No, there's uh, or four coin drachma. Oh, four drachma coin. Yeah, which is coming out with another. Yeah. yeah. So the Daenerys gets you a three and a emperor, so essentially four. It's plus four, yeah. Um, and then the other one is like another plus four. So, I mean, that's kind of where the game's going, I guess. So it's not, it's not so bad. But those are those are instant abilities that you're not looping. Yeah. And if, well, that's if, what I was talking about with Daniel. Yeah, and a, yeah. A plus they, four and Daniel is really almost too slow. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but when you could go potentially plus 12 off of that, you know, hit hand limit, you know, depending on whatever you had in your hand before. But I think it allows the game to, you know, when they go to the design, you know, lab and they're thinking about, okay, new set, this is what kind of abilities we want. I think, you know, I've never been inside that conversation with them, but I would assume in the past creating new cards was awfully hard to do. When you think about things that were just like broken to where I think it's a breath of fresh air to design cards within the new space of like rotation as the primary tournament category, you know, tournament format. Because think about creating anything for green profits with my boy my boy right here uh gabriel mouth of god does he trigger hidden treasures or is it just ot profit maybe ot but either way like that's something they had to keep in mind anytime they design profits you know any green profits so they were limited on what they could do for that brigade and that theme those heroes because you've got it you know a, a play play first ability right here And then, you know, another example is, you know, like, you know, we mentioned Daniel's got 
it's set up to where you have, you know, the potential to create all kinds of crazy things are like in, you know, before rotation to where Throne was really strong. And every time they printed, you know, a Purple Brigade King warrior, you know, they had to take into account, okay, this is going to interact with this and just make this theme even better, almost to the point to where I think they knew rotation was coming and that's why LOC came out and they were okay with it being ridiculously strong for a season. And then it's gone away to where now they don't have to worry about it. But like you see when they release new cards and cards that are in the card pool that have been there forever, create these interactions. Like, I think it's hard to design, you know, if rotation hadn't happened, you would have to be thinking about all these cards when you create new cards. And so you wipe the slate clean, so to speak with rotation. And now you add this for future proofing. I think, it's almost like a blank slate, like when I know Tyler and Chris are, you know, lead design on new sets, I believe, is the, the setup here in the future. Like, it seems like there's probably just so much openness of what they can do. Like, they can take a card and create it without worrying about some broken interaction that was, you know, found 15 years ago and still exists in the card pool. And I think this is just something that's going to help help that process along, you know, like that open creativity because, like I said, it just removes the potential for infinite loops or interactions that get, you know, too twisted because somebody exploits them and they find a way to just create that infinite loop. Um, so I think positive impacts long-term, I think there's tremendous amount of, you know, positive things that this does. And, again, in the here and now, probably it doesn't feel as important. Like, to me, it does. I don't know about for other people. But if you think in, like, five years, if we still had old wording on cards, like if Life in the Sun had gotten changed and we still had the original, you know, floating around, I don't think that's nearly as clean as this rule that just it's a quality of life update that future-proofs the game and keeps the cards playing exactly as the text is on them. So you got any other thing to mention about the positive impacts long-term? No, not really. I think I think we pretty much covered most of, most of what I was thinking. I mean, I when they came out of the rule, I thought it was – I mean, it took me a second to think about it when I was sitting there reading it and kind of working through it. But the more I thought about it, it's kind of exactly what you said. Man, this probably should have been done a long time ago. <laughs> like, it feels like this is – the right thing to do. Yeah. So. Um, I do I do have it listed here for us to talk about any negative impacts. And, I mean, the only negative impact I, I – I don't think is a negative impact. The only question I, I have about it is, you know, and that depends on, you know, how strong this combo is left. You know, I said it was cool that you had – you know, Life in the Sun, Widow, still being a playable thing if you wanted to build around that, but it not being broken. The only, it's not a negative impact of the rule, it's just there's a question of is there a situation where maybe the rule didn't do enough to nerf that? You know, a plus 12, if you were to manipulate that to where you add in the Denarius play that you go plus 16, you get down to 10 to 12 cards left in your deck 
you know, at some, you know, with all all your searches and, and things of that nature, then you have to question if it's still really, really strong. Did it do enough? That's the only, and that that's not a negative impact of the rule. That would just be a negative impact of that combo still being strong beyond this rule change. Um, but that's the only thing I can think of is just, is there a situation where maybe it doesn't do enough for the current situation with the first and, you know, life in the sun and widow? And then is there a potential interaction down the road to where, you know, four isn't limiting it to four still allows you to create enough card advantage to where it's an issue. I don't think that's going to be an issue personally, because I think if you build your deck to try to maximize that, then you're weakening your deck in other areas and someone building a strong balance deck will probably be able to generate enough traction to cause you issues. You know, there's a big difference in I'm holding 12 additional cards in my hand versus I've drawn my entire deck. You can answer a lot of things when you have every card in your deck in your hand. There's a lot less you can answer when you have 12 extra cards. And then, you know, the denarius that gets you the, you know, four more out of your deck. So 16 cards out of your deck. There's a lot less you can answer there. But sometimes you're going to break, and in that 16, you're going to get, you know, your golden calf and your cross to where you're going to make it hard for the opponent to overcome that. But I I don't think that's going to be an issue overall because I don't, I don't see that as a, a viable thing across, like, eight rounds at nationals or something like that. Um, do you have any any thoughts on any negative impact from it? I'll have to think a little bit. Maybe I might bring it up at another day. I, I can't really think of anything right now. Um, yeah, and, just and because I liked it so much whenever they came. I out guess with it. I guess that is something to to make sure we put the disclaimer out there that this is initial thoughts and and things like what we feel in the moment. We have not tested this out, but again, I don't know that you need to test it out per se because. It's like what you mentioned on Discord. How many times have you ever seen somebody loop the same card four times? More than four. Well, yeah, more yeah. than four. It was part of some infinite loop that we're doing good to get rid of or, you know, to stop the infinite loop part of it. But, like, it, otherwise it doesn't affect game. the game. It just affects when those combo-type players discover interaction that they exploit, you know, limitless because it's a costless game. So... I don't think there's going to be much negative impact from it, personally. And I think the fact that, like, when I read it, understood it, I reached out to both Tyler and John to ask if I understood the way that the Widow combo would work now with the rule change because I I really like the idea that it was still playable and limited versus just completely being destroyed with a, a Rata. So there, there is one, one card that we haven't mentioned yet. What's that? That... I do feel like probably does have a negative effect on it because I don't feel like it was broken. I feel like you could manipulate this card to your advantage um, to help you win, and oftentimes it did. Um, but it, it, it it's probably going to take the biggest thrashing, if you will, from this rule. What's that? Jeshua. Especially with the uh, interaction, what's that uh, gray card? The Balaam's, Balaam's prophecy. prophecy, right? But I don't, you know, I don't like that. I so don't you, know that that's. You use that card, you you get a draw four from that, and now you can't top deck anything. You can't even use any of your cards that top deck that turn because you've already used four. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, you got. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Like, Here, here's an idea. Here's an idea. <laughs> Since you don't know what your top decking is, just the top six cards, and you have a deck that's built around top decking a specific card, and then getting to draw that specific card. Prioritize using the specific searches that get you the specific card instead of the broad one that gets you potentially four cards. Yeah, but you know, a lot but of people also, like to do that combo where they do that and they do. You know, Zerubal, I don't. Plumlin, I don't think it really Zerubal. kills that though. It doesn't kill it. But I, what I'm saying is, if there's any negative impact, that's the card that that got negatively impact. Some of the other ones needed to be. I don't. I don't know necessarily that Jeshua needed to be impacted like that. Uh, it was just a matter of time before Jaden figured out some way to like destroy our hopes and dreams with him. But I mean I get what you're saying, but I I don't think the impact is is that strong on Joshua. He still does what he does. He's just Ask Jaden that question. <laughs> you just can't you just can't like do it to a, a point to where it's like this is your entire like source of speed. It's just like an you know, yeah, I mean, it's forcing you to go other directions. Right. You know, for sure. But And still, you know, plus four off of him is, is pretty good. The thing that I I think, now that you mentioned up a specific card, I think this doesn't touch Sowing Bountifully, but it does because it limits Church of Christ tokens to four per turn. So think about how many turns they have to go through before they, they create enough meat. Now, if they're using... Sowing Bountifully, and they're using actual Corinth heroes. Guess what? They're using Sowing Bountifully how it was designed. And you can use Church of Christ to help with that. But, like, I mean, you're building your, your deck to utilize that stuff, and I don't think that's a problem. I think, you know, limiting Church of Christ to four tokens per turn is a, a fantastic thing because I was already worried about, you know, okay, I can basically create tokens at will because I can bounce all of these heroes and then put them back down, create more tokens. It's easy to potentially, if, if the, everything breaks, to be, you know, 30 tokens after turn, or 30, 30 Corinth heroes after turn one in the right deck. And then Sowing Bountifully. But Sowing Bountifully, you know, with the, you know, realization that the good cards go on top of your deck before the discard for the evil cards... So dual alignment, you know, survives through that. And then the limit to Church of Christ, this rule, handles that. I also like the fact that Gabe mentioned that sometimes you might, uh, he's intrigued by, you know, the potential to, if you've got Jonah down, well, I can, you know, do enough things to get through your Jonah and then go off to do, you know, extra searches after that. Now, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt to let you do something four times, you know, like shield. If I do, you know, searches and, you know, I've got my storehouse. That's a search. I do my book of the covenant to grab from reserve. That's another search. You put four souls up. Okay. But now I don't have to worry about that. You've still got two souls out and now I can search without, you know, punishment basically to where you can hit the limit as part of your strategic, you know, way to, you know, counter the fact that they have a counter in place for you. Um, but widely, I think this rule was accepted by the community much like it felt more like this was, this was more like, and you know, that goes back to when we first created the podcast. 
because there was a lot of changes with redemption. You know, there was rotation. Then there was the reserve rule. There was a lot of things changing. And that's why I wanted to create the platform for, you know, people to talk and discuss that. This feels more like the community response to rotation versus the reserve rule. With rotation, it was the overwhelming response was like, okay, cool. Let's adapt and let's move forward. What is what is the, the game of redemption look like now? And figuring that out. And it was mostly a positive, a positive thing. And then the reserve rule, there was mixed, you know, mixed thoughts on that. And it was kind of like some people wanting to fill it out. Some people completely hated the idea. Um, initially, I was one of those that just hated the idea because I didn't like the fact that I'm going to get cards and now the cards don't operate how, you know, they're written because there's, you know, a rule that I have to know in mind, kind of like you mentioned before. But then as you actually put it into practice and test it out, it really, it slows it down. And it does, much to the credit of the elder team, it does turn the reserve back into more of what it was designed to be, which is that sideboard that gives you benefit throughout the game for your battles and things of that nature versus being your consistency engine because you're using it as a second hand. You know, credit to players of the game to exploit that and use it that way because players are always going to find the best way to do things. But the rule basically turns the reserve back into almost what it was designed to be. Um, But overall, the community seems to accept it more like they did rotation versus having reluctancy or, you know, needing to test it out before accepting it, before, you know, creating any positive feedback on it, like the reserve rule and whatnot. Um, and I I think it's just a testament to the design team for, you know, trying to think outside of the box to come up with a solution that doesn't lead to more erratas and bans and things that affect actual cards and whether they play like the text on the cards. Because I think keeping the game clean is the best is the best path forward for the future of the game. Yeah, I agree. Same. So I think uh, we're getting ready to wrap it up here because Brad looks like he's about to fall asleep on my couch here <laughs> in the office. So Comfortable couch. Um, so we'll, we'll get out of here before Brad falls asleep. You going to be able to make it home, Brad? <laughs> I might crash on this couch. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe we can do some midnight redemption. Who knows? Well, that would require us to have cards. <laughs> <laughs> lackey, lackey. Um, so I want to thank you guys for listening in to episode 25 here. I want to thank Brad for joining and I'll go ahead and tell you that, um, future episodes I'm, I'm trying to line up. I'm trying to line up, you know, potentially having Gabe on to tell us the story of the son of God that John hinted at on last week's episode. I'm working on having a spotlight episode for type Northwest to, you know, introduce that to the broader community and, you know, talk to one of the the people that were instrumental in that taking a foothold within the community. Um, Also reaching out to try to line something up for, you know, spotlighting booster draft for people that, you know, have not played it very much or new to it, you know, to talk strategy and concepts of how to be not necessarily good at it, but just better because, like, you can't get any worse than I am at booster draft. So, you know, it's 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 only up from here. And then um there was one other episode I was working on. Maybe. 
I don't know. Anyway, so I've got a lot of episodes that I'm I'm working on trying to to figure out, you know, the the order of for the next few weeks, but content is coming in. Hopefully it's going to be some stuff that's interesting for you guys that you'll want to check out. But next week marks episode number 26. And if you look at that on a weekly schedule, that is exactly half a year. So that means that the threshing floor is 0.5 years old. Um, I'm going to say that that's worth celebrating because when I started this out, I did not know how long it would go. I wanted it to be a long-term source of content for the community, but I wasn't sure if I was the guy to pull it off and if it would actually, you know, get the traction that it has now. And I want to thank you guys for listening for that. And I want to thank, especially like the elders and the the other guests that I've had on, but especially elders, because I think that is a unique concept to, you know, have the leaders of the game, you know, presented to the community to where, you know, we can pick their brain and, and you know, t- have them on and talk about topics. And there's a lot more openness with that when you get to, you know, know the personalities behind the people making the rule changes and things of that nature for the game and then all of the guests that we've had along the way. So I want to thank everyone for getting to this point. And with that said, next week on episode number 26, I will be having a huge announcement. I'll just say that it is a huge announcement and you're going to want to check in for it. So without further ado, I will bid you adieu and say goodnight. You want to say goodnight to the people, Brad? Buenas noches. Yes. He woke up just long enough to say that. All right. Peace. All right. Thank you so much for joining on episode number 25 of The Threshing Floor. I want to thank you, as always, for listening each week. I want to thank Brad for coming on and being the guest this week. And also want to remind you that next week we're going to have that huge announcement. So make sure you tune in next week, and I'm really happy to uh, bring that to you guys. So we'll look forward to seeing you on next week's episode. Thanks. Peace. Peace.